Okay, good evening. good evening. You might hear me say a number of times throughout this course or this class, I'm just going to make a little brief introduction. Because the truth is, that's what we're doing. We're making a lot of introductions. So I'm not sure which is the introduction to the introduction to the introduction, but ultimately the idea over here is to really introduce to everybody what it takes to open up a Gemara, just pull off a Gemara off the shelf, not an art scroll, not a Masifta, not a Gemara that has all the explanations on the side, not a recorded Daf Yomi Shir, but to pull a Gemara off the shelf and to be able to read through the Gemara. Now, I'm not going to give you the false hope that after coming to one shear, you're going to have everything that you need in order to be able to do that. But I will tell you that I believe that if you follow the mahalach, if you follow the process that I'm going to present over here, it will make your life much easier. And I'll explain it with a bit of a muscle in advance. I remember not too long ago, I flew with my family to Florida and the pilot was just a nice guy. And as we were deplaning, we were getting off at the end, he invited the kids to come to the cockpit. And for someone who's been to the cockpit of an airplane for the first time, it's a very overwhelming scene. It's not like there's a steering wheel with a gas pedal and a brake. There are tons of dials. There's buttons and there's little odometers and all types of things that look like... It looks like you're in the cockpit of an airplane. And it's just overwhelming to see what's going on there. This is what it takes to fly an airplane. And one of my kids asked the pilot, how do you know like, which button to push at which time? And he responded, it takes a lot of training. Right? It takes a lot of training. A very simple answer. It wasn't a very profound conversation. But it's an idea that if you know what you're supposed to be doing, then you're not going to mix up all the buttons and think that one on the right side is going to do the function of the one on the left side. I don't know anything about the inside of, of an airplane as much as I don't know anything about what's under the front hood of my car. A similar concept. You go to the mechanic and you say, there's something wrong with my car. Now, I remember this. I lived in Lakewood for a very long time and my first couple of cars that I owned very much fit the bill of a typical younger man's car in Lakewood. And I spent a good deal of my time at the mechanic. I remember there was a time my car wasn't working. And I brought it to the mechanic. And he said, let me take a ride with you. He sat in the car. And within five minutes, he said, okay, we need to fix this. We need to fix that. And he said, oh, there's a clamp that's missing on the front right wheel. And that's why it's making the sound. I remember saying, you didn't even look at it. You didn't look at the car. And he laughed at me. He said, well, it's easy for me to know because when you turn this way, it makes the sound. When you turn the other way, it doesn't make the sound. That particular sound is a sound that would only come out if it's missing that clamp. Now, he's not a Navi. He's not a prophet. But he understands what makes a car run. As far as I'm concerned, there's the ignition, there's a gas pedal, there's a brake, and there's a little piece, either it's a button or a piece, which tells her you're going forward, you're going backwards, or do your car break down and you have to go into neutral now to have someone push you. But for somebody who understands the inner structure of a car, it's not a big deal for them to understand what's wrong with the car. And the same thing is true when it comes to Gemara. The fact that you've been learning Gemara for a long time is similar to a person who's been riding in a car for a long time. 
Most of us, I think should say every one of us, has spent a great deal of time in an automobile. But it doesn't mean that if the car breaks down, we'll know what to do to fix it. Because that's not the part of the automobile that we've been operating. We operate the car from the driver's seat, or worse, from the passenger seat. But we're not operating the car from under the hood. When you get under the hood, it's overwhelming. There's tons and tons of pipes and wires and pieces and fluids and all kinds of things that it's just overwhelming. And that's why when you bring your car for a simple oil change, that's why when the oil change costs $50, the guy tells you, you know, your bill is 250 bucks because I had to change this, I had to change that. It was time for you to do that. And you know, in your car's maintenance, you had to change this. And you say, oh, sure, yeah, I don't want to break down. I don't want my car to catch fire. I don't want anything dangerous to happen because for most of us, Again, I don't want to offend anybody. Maybe some people over here know how a car works better than me. We just take their word for it because that's not the part of the car that we explore. The same thing is true when it comes to Gemara. If you're able to operate the Gemara not from the driver's seat, but from under the hood, then you're able to understand what to expect when you open the Gemara. And that's the goal. The goal is that when you open a Gemara, you already have a lot of skills before you that after reading the Mishnah, you can pretty much predict what that Gemara is going to say in it. And that's the idea. And you'll see as we go through this, I'm bringing down over here on the first page, first Arambam, I'm going to get to that in a minute. And then I'm bringing a number of different concepts, key concepts. We'll go through each one individually, and then I have a number of case studies. We're not necessarily going to have time to go through every one of them this evening, but what we're going to do is we're going to take the underlying belief for what I believe is under the hood of the Gemara. And I'm going to show you how I'm going to plug it into these three different examples. And the truth is, there are hundreds of these examples, and every daf in Gemara really has these examples. After we're able to master this and understand this, we'll move on to a limud of Gemara, which is not going to be a limud of Gemara, which we're just trying to finish to make a siyam. It's going to be a limud of Gemara to show us how we... Take these concepts that I'm presenting to you and applying them to your limud. So like this, you're able to understand it. Now, the obvious question is, am I going to give you a, you know, just a transfer, a download of information which is going to include all the translations of every Aramaic word in all of Shas? The answer is no. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with picking up a Jastro dictionary. I don't know if they have it anymore. You can probably just Google it at this point. But a Jastro, when I was... In yeshiva, it was this big, fat, blue book that has every single word, and it tells you every time it appears in Shas. And when you don't know what a word means, because it's just not your language, there's nothing wrong with checking up with the translation that word means. But that should be the only struggle that you have, is that the language is different. And once you're able to translate the words, you can plug it in, because you already know what the Gemara is trying to accomplish. It's not strange to you to understand what the Gemara is trying to do. So now, before we get to actually learning and plugging in these concepts, I want to first begin by showing you a Rambam. Rambam is the first source. I start off with three questions. Why do we learn Gemara? What's the purpose of learning Gemara? And what's the ideal way to learn Gemara? So I want to answer those questions through this Rambam. This Rambam is Rambam in Hilchus Talmud Torah, Perak Aleph, Halachi Yud Aleph, and he writes the following. After describing the Chiyuv, the obligation of learning Torah, the Rambam goes on to describe what it is that a person should do with his Limud Torah. He writes the following, es zman 
Lemidaso. A person should split up the time of his learning into three parts. Shlispa Torah Shabbat One third should be with Torah Shabbat Oral law. Literally learning Tanakh. Vishlish B'Torah Shabal Peh. Another third should be Torah Shabal Peh. And the Rabbah goes on and continues. Vishlish Yavin V'Yaskil Achris Davar Meirishiso. The third part of Torah is that a person should spend their time trying to figure out the conclusion, which is Yavin V'Yaskil, a person should understand, he should be able to be smart, and understand Achris Davar Merishisa, the conclusion of something from its beginning, from its primary sources. And he goes on, he continues, Vyadsi Davar Midavar should be able to extract, to extrapolate one thing from the next, Vyadame Davar Ladavar, and to compare one thing to the next. Vyavim Bemidos Shatarin Dreshes Behen. A person should be able to understand the principles by which the Torah is Nidrash, is learned. Until a person really understands the core of those concepts, and how we reach the conclusion of what is permissible, what is forbidden, from things that were learned from Torah Shabbat. And he concludes, a very long winded way of the Rambam saying a person should divide his day one third Tanakh, another third Torah Shabbat Peh, and the last third is Gemara. Now one might ask, isn't Gemara Torah Shabbat Peh? Clearly the Rambam is dividing Torah Shabbat Peh into two things. Perhaps Mishnayis is Torah Shabbat Peh. What is that? A list of halachos. A list of scenarios. A list of issues. A list of yes, no, Mutter, Asr, Tahar, Tameh, that's Torah Shabbat However, says Rambam, the third category, which really is included in Torah Shabbat is an intellectual exercise where a person goes and uses their own intelligence, their logical process of working through all that information to get to the bottom line. Gemara is not just coming to a share and listening to someone report to you a conversation that happened in a base medrash a couple thousand years ago. Gemara is when a person spends time using their own logical process to be able to determine what the bottom line is based on those sources. So this is a very important Rambam because this Rambam basically told us that Gemara is different than what we thought. Well, perhaps we thought before this evening Gemara is just an expounded version of Mishnah. It's just another thing to memorize based off of Mishnah, says Rambam. That's not what Gemara is there for. Gemara was structured in a way which causes you to think and to exercise your logical conclusions. I think with this, we could just, just, by the way, answer a couple questions. Sometimes, including in today's daf, we have scenarios in the Gemara where the Gemara limits a case to sometimes a bizarre, rare circumstance. For example, this morning we had a concept of a person stealing an ox from a watchman who was guarding it. And while he was guarding it, at that time, it went out and killed somebody. And during that time frame of the guardianship, it 
went to Bastin, Bastin Paskin that it's Chayev Skila, because this animal killed a person, and then the Shomer returned it to the owner all in that time frame. Now, come on, you're telling me that was the only case that the Mishnah could have been talking about? The answer is no. But what we're doing here is we're going through an intellectual, logical process where a person is supposed to use every ounce of their intellect to be able to think what can be the possible conclusion to every case based on the Mishnayis that I'm learning. The Gemara is a process where it walks us through that. It trains us to think in that way. But ultimately, Gemara means where a person uses their own intellect to come to those conclusions. So I just wrote a small summary here in this blurb. According to Rambam, Gemara learning is a logical process developing and understanding halakhic conclusions from the primary sources. In other words, Gemara is not about amassing information. Perhaps that, that's what, that is what Mishnah is about. Gemara learning requires intellectual investment to attain logical clarity with deep understanding of the conclusions. So clearly, Gemara is a process of thinking to yourself through every scenario. Now, I, I go through a few different steps over here. The makeup of a Mishnah. And this is perhaps the most important aspect of learning Gemara. Because every Gemara is based off of a Mishnah. It's expanding on a Mishnah. If you don't properly understand the Mishnah, if you don't know the Mishnah well, if you don't understand what's in the Mishnah, all of the Gemara is going to be strange to you. Because it is all based on that Mishnah. Everything in Gemara, besides for Agadata and sometimes tangents in the Gemara, we'll get to those as well, is all based off of a deep understanding of the Mishnah. And the argument I'm going to make with you through this course is that if you learn a Mishnah properly, you have, I don't know what the percentage is, but a high percentage of what to expect in the Gemara is already going to be a conclusion in your mind. So now let's go through that. There's a scenario. Every mission is going to have a scenario. If you can't identify that scenario, start over again. Because you need to know that scenario well. If there is a part of that scenario which doesn't make sense to you, you have to ask yourself a question right then and there. Why this scenario? So if there's a part of a scenario which is strange to you, Ask yourself why this scenario. Let me give you an example just to bring this out. There's a few, a few of them here, but let's just go to the last page in the pamphlet. Sorry, not the last page. It is case number two. Okay, let's look at this case number two. This is a Mishnah in Mesechus Bavakama. It is Parakimel. It's the first Mishnah in the third Parak of Bavakama. It appears in Dafka Zayin and Aleph. Let's look at the, at the Mishnah. Haminiach es Sakad Birishus a person places, I'm not going to define this word right now, a person places a kad in Rishus HaRabim, uba'achar v'niskalba, another person came by and tripped over it, u'shivara, and he broke it. Let's stop right there. What's the scenario? The scenario is, a person placed a jug in a public domain. Okay? Why specifically a jug? Okay, so now go a little bit further. The halach is Shvara Potter. He's exempt from paying. We don't know why yet. Vimhuzakpa, if he got hurt when he tripped on it. Baal Hachavis, the owner of the Chavis, 
Chayev Benisko is obligated to reimburse him for his damage. The Baal, exact the Chavis. Where did the Chavis come from? These are things we don't often pay attention to when we read a Mishnah quickly. The Mishnah started with the word Kad, which is a jug, a small jug, like Kad Hashemen, and ended off with the word Chavis. You don't need to get to the Gemara to have the Gemara say, Pasach Bekad Besayim Bechavis. This is not something you need the Gemara for. Anybody who's paying attention to the Mishnah should know this. And then when the Gemara starts in the next box and says, Pasach Bekad Besayim Bechavis, you already thought of that question. You don't need to be a big Lamdin to understand what those words mean because you have that question in your own mind. Why would a Mishnah start with the word Kad and with Chavetz? It's an obvious point that everybody can understand if you just understand the inner workings of a Mishnah. Next, Veniskalba. He tripped on it. What happens if he didn't trip on it? What if he kicked it to the side? That's also important. You should know that the Gemara is going to have to ask that question. The Gemara is going to have to address that. Okay, now I want you to look. I put a little, I don't even know what this is, a, a chart on, this, on the second half of this page. I wanted to show you a few of these concepts over here because we're going to get to, we have the scenario, we have the issue, the default position in the Kiddush. We're going to get there very soon. Scenario and issue. An issue. What's the scenario? Let's take our Mishnah. The scenario is a person places a cod in a public domain. What's the issue? It broke. What's the issue? Someone got hurt when they tripped on it. What would you think? Forget the Mishnah. What would you think if I walked over to you and said, you know what? An interesting Shiloh came to me. Somebody called me up and they had the following question. They were walking in their front lawn, on the street in front of their house. They were talking on the phone and they broke someone's jug that was on the, on, on the street. Or I was in an airport I was in a rush. I was pushing my large luggage luggage cart out of all my suitcases and I pushed it full force and someone put their computer on the floor and I ran over their computer and I smashed it. It's broken. What would you think? Now, I'm not here to necessarily uh, debate this right now, but if the Mishnah is telling you the halacha, it can't be obvious. Okay? So now, look down at the, bo- at the bottom right corner. If there's no Kiddush in the Mishnah, you must expect the Gemara to ask Pshita. Right? We've seen that so many times in the Gemara. Pshita. The Gemara is essentially saying, if you learnt this Mishnah, and there was nothing in this Mishnah that was a novelty to you, don't say it. The Gemara will always say, say Pshita. After learning the Mishnah, if you can't find the Kiddush, you should be able to predict that somewhere in the next few Amudim, the word pshita is going to show up. Okay? If there is a chiddush, if you're saying, oh, well, I would have thought he's chayiv. Mishnah says he's pater. Hold on a second. You expect the Gemara to say, minalan, minahani mili, viraminhi. Okay, either where'd you get this from? Or even worse, it's a stira. There's another Mishnah that says something else. You should expect this. Right now we're learning Elon Aris and Dafyomi. Right? We have a discussion of a person who is Ma'anes, a his sister. 
Okay, the Mishnah says there's a knas. We have a Mishnah Maseches Makos that says there's Malchus for it. The Gemara obviously asks that there's going to be, there's a stira. The Gemara has to ask that. Now, you're not going to know every Mishnah to ask if there's a stira, but you should know enough after learning the Mishnah to say, you know what, there's a Chiddush over here. There's something new to me. How do we know it? Now, if it's written elsewhere, let's say this halacha is already written somewhere else. Expect the Gemara to say, to say We already learned this. Why would you say this to me again? We already learned this. <coughs> Next, if we're not sure who says this, because there's a machlokas, Mantana, who is the one who says this? If the case is unclear, because it specifically talks about a cod, then it changes to a jug. Or if it sp- gives specific information about one case, expect the Gemara to say, Ibayalu, I have a question for you. And then present a scenario and say, Mahu. What's the halacha? These are all things you don't need to wait to the Gemara to get to. These are all concepts that after learning a Mishnah, you should be able to ask yourself this question. So let's get back to our case, where we had case number two. A person places a kad, a jug, in Rishus HaRabim. Someone else came and tripped on it. And they broke it. Potter. Halacha is your potter. Now, let's go back to, to page number one. Page number one, the makeup of a Mishnah. The scenario. We know the scenario already. That is, a person places a jug in the public domain. Number two, the issue. The issue is that it broke. The issue is that somebody got hurt. What's the default position? If this Mishnah was never written, what is your default position that you would say would be the halacha without this Mishnah? What's the Chiddush? Ultimately, the Mishnah needs to be teaching you something new. You need to answer those four questions every time you learn a Mishnah. Sometimes you're going to say, what's the scenario? There are three scenarios. We have a Mishnah. Basula Nisas Leoma Ravi. A Basula, an unmarried girl, gets married on Wednesday. Almana, on the fifth, the fifth day, the Yom HaChemishi, right? Two different halachas, two scenarios. One is a besula, a virgin get, is getting married, that's scenario number one. Number two, an almana, somebody who was already married, that's scenario number two. What's the issue? You have to go through the mission to be able to identify those issues. So this is key number one to learning Gemara. Number one, you just have to be able to identify, properly identify what is in that Mishnah. This is an exercise you can do every time you learn a Mishnah. If you're learning Mishnayis, if you're learning Mishnah Yomi, it's very easy to quickly just go through it. But if you stop at every Mishnah and ask yourself these four questions, what's the scenario? What's the issue coming up in this scenario that I'm trying to work through? What's the default position before the Mishnah? What would I have thought if the Mishnah says nothing? And what's the Chiddush? And then ask yourself all the questions. If your default position is exactly the same as the Mishnah, ask yourself in your mind, Shita, it's obvious. If your default position is different than the conclusion in the Mishnah, then say to yourself, where do you know this from? Where does this information come from? Which is, in the Gemara, Minahani Mili. 
Minalan or Viramini. It's a stira. But those questions should be questions that come up in your mind just by learning a Mishnah. Okay, now, as we do that, we have to move on to the next concept, which is identifying keys. You'll have keywords. I didn't make a whole list of them because there are so many, but we'll go through them. Key phrases. Sometimes there are phrases in the Gemara that we wonder, how does this phrase actually mean what it's trying to say? I believe every single phrase actually makes sense. Sometimes you have to go through it. For example, Ein HaChenami. What does Ein HaChenami mean? We'll get through all those. Hachba All these cases, we'll go through them to explain how they work. Imtinsi Lomar. Right? All these things are going to come up. Why are they there? But these are key phrases to know. Then there's key concepts. Concepts, like we're bringing out, which is, what's the, what's the default? What's the Chiddush? Where are we going with this? Applying this to another concept. Bringing a Raya. Bringing a Stira. All these things are concepts that come up. And then there's structure. We'll get through the structure as we go through it, but this is the basic, at least, structure of a Mishnah. Now, in order to help you with that, you have to ask yourself all these questions. Always ask yourself what the goal of this Gemara is. Is it to, number one, provide new information? In other words, before you even read it, you're asking yourself, what's this line in Gemara here for? Is it to provide new information? Is it to present a problem? Is it solving a problem? Is it proving a statement? Is it soliciting needed information? Once you're able to determine if it's providing new information, ask yourself, is the information new? If it's presenting a problem, ask yourself, is this really a problem? If it's solving a problem, ask yourself, did it solve the problem? If it's proving the statement, ask yourself, is this good proof? If it's soliciting needed information, ask yourself, did you get the information you needed? That is already doing the same thing we did in the Mishnah in the Gemara. Because if the Gemara is presenting a problem, for example, Meisvei, we're asking a question. Clearly, Meisvei introduces a question. So now, you know we're presenting a problem. Is it a problem? After reading it, ask yourself, is this really a problem? Okay, if it's not a problem, you could predict the next line in Gemara, which is going to say, it's not a problem. Why is this an issue? Hello, Kasha. Right? If the Gemara presents an answer and says, we're solving a problem, and the Gemara, and then you say, hold on, how did this answer the kasha, this question? Right? Hasukasha, right? Sukashali. We'll have all these different frames, phrases that will come up. But ultimately, the bottom line is, once you're able to master what's going on, you're under the hood of the car, it's not a big deal for you to know what that clicking sound coming from the right wheel in the front of the car is because you've already done the homework. Does anybody have any questions up until this point? Am I making any sense? Yes. Yes? Yes. Okay, good. So now, that's where this chart comes in. This chart comes in to help us. We went through this. But again, once you identify the scenario, once you identify the issue, then you can predict which one of these five bubbles will come up. Now, to be honest, there's more than five bubbles, but I didn't want the whole page to look like uh, 
I don't know. Yeah, a roller coaster. Yeah, I didn't want it to look like coronavirus. <laughs> exactly. But ultimately, the bottom line is, as we go through it, we're going to present more options of what the Gemara is going to do. But this is the structure you have to master in order to do it. Now, a skill needed to learn a new Gemara. I'm sorry, we missed one. What was the problem with the Gemara? Had we really said this before? How was the question answered? Was the answer compelling? This is really what I explained to you before. And then how can we know if the answer is correct? I'll tell you something which I learned. It took me until I was... Uh, I, I went to yeshiva right, right, after, right after elementary school, right after middle school. Again, I've been learning Gemara since I'm in fifth grade. It took me until I was in the first year of Bish Medrash, and I was sitting in, in Shir, and my Rosh Hashiva, he was the one who gave Shir, Rabbi Yosef Eichenstein, he should live and be well. He's still the Rosh Hashiva, RJJ. He had this in New Jersey, that's where I learned. And he started this year, he presented two different opinions, and he looked around the room, and he said, who's right? And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to decide who's right? I've always been told as a child, never say that Rashi made a mistake. Never say that Tosus made a mistake. Never say that one of the Tanoim or, or one of the Amoraim made a mistake. And here the Shashiva, this Yeshiva is asking me who's right. Like, I mean, I'm, am I in the right shear? But I have to tell you, that idea of asking somebody who's right is such an important concept. Think about it. What was your default position? Now, it doesn't mean the one who's not right is wrong. We could speak about the concept of Shiv Panam Latora, but that's already not, that's beyond our, our discussion tonight. Our discussion is when you learn a Mishnah, there's Machlokas Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Shimon, ask yourself, who's right? Who's right? What was your default position? And the one who you believe to be is wrong, ask the question, where'd you get this information from? Why would you say this? And if anyone presents an information which is obvious, just say to yourself, Shita, why are we writing this mission? Let's get on to the next one. This is obvious. These are things you, once you internalize these concepts, Gomara starts to flow much, much easier. Let's take, we're not going to go through all the cases because I think it's exhaustive to do it. I, I really, as I was putting together this, this source sheet, I had about 10 or 15 different Gomaras that I was going to use as examples. And maybe I still will bring them and I'll, and I'll write them down because as we go through those Gemaras, they're different, all different types of Gemaras. Just, just to throw out the example, the Gemara in Maseches Eretvin, we learned in Dafyomi not too long ago, talks about pi, right? So what, I mean, the concept of circumference and figuring out you know, the diameters, you say, listen, I'm here to learn Gemara. I'm not here for math class. Why is the Gemara spending time t- telling me how to measure how, how, how to measure something? I mean, the Gemara Masech Sukkah does the same thing. Gemara talks about how wide or how large, how big uh, a post has to be. And the Gemara says, oh, well, it depends if it's round or if it's square. And the Gemara goes on describing how you figure out the, the circumference based on the diameter. I'm not here for math. I'm here for Gemara. Why is that there? These are concepts that as we go through them, what was your default? What were you thinking beforehand? What's the Kiddush? If there's no Kiddush, why is the Gemara right? What are we learning from it? These are things we have to always understand. And I'll, you know, we'll get back to this case, but I just think this is another great one. The last page here. Look at this Gemara in Yuvamas. Daf Hayom at base. 
Again, we learned this not too long ago. Titania, we learned in Nebraisa. Yachol yehei kibud avaim docha Shabbos. I would have thought that kibud avaim is more important than Shabbos. What does that mean? That if my father or my mother tell me to violate Shabbos, I should violate Shabbos. Why would you think so? Did you take that for granted? Yachol yehei kibud avaim docha Shabbos. Why? The Gemara should stop right there. I can't get to the next line. Why would I think so? The Gemara goes on. What was the Gemara thinking in the beginning? What was the Gemara thinking at the end? What changed? Why, why would I have thought that? Why, do, why does that change? These concepts need to be the concepts that you use whenever you learn Gemara. Nothing should just be handed to you. You learn a new halacha, stop. Why would I think so? Why is this true? Is it true? And you have to ask yourself those questions and you'll see the Gemara does most of that work. Now the Gemara teaches us how to think like this. The Gemara teaches us as we learn Gemara, the Gemara teaches us how to use this type of critical thinking. But if we understand what the Gemara is doing, we have so much of the Gemara already worked out. Now does that mean we'll know all the answers? No, because you have to know every single Pasuk in all of Tanakh. And you have to know every single limud from every pasuk in all of Tanakh. And you have to know every single Mishnah in all of Mishnayas to know every contradiction. You have to know every single opinion of every one of the Tanayim to know is it consistent with what they say elsewhere. But if you at least start and say, this is Reb Shimon's opinion. Okay, this is Reb Shimon's opinion. Why does he hold like that? Where did he get this from? Where did this information come to him from? You're already prepared when the Gemara goes on to the next line and says, hold on a second, this is not always true. Or maybe it's true that Shimon, Shimon is of this opinion. Is he always of this opinion? If you ask yourself that question, is this, is this case unanimous? Are there other cases which could be a little bit different? You, once you've done that work, you'll see the questions that the Gemara asks fit right into your line of thinking. Let's take one example and learn through it well. And we'll go through the other one, through the other ones another night. Let's do this. This is on, on page two. I'm sorry to page, put page numbers on. It's on page two. Mishnah Bavakama, Parak Vav, Daf Nunhei Amud Beis. Hakones tzel deer. A person brings his sheep into the deer. What is the deer? It's the pen. Okay. V'na'al b'fanea karoi. He locked the door appropriately. He, pr- he properly locked the door. Anybody have, any, anybody have any comments yet? Scenario. What's the scenario? Person puts his sheep in the pen. In addition to that, he locked the door appropriately. What's an appropriate lock? Appropriate is an arbitrary word. Right? I might think appropriately means that he put two or three thick chains around the fence. He also put an alarm on there, and there's barbed wire, and if the animal leaves, there's no way that it can leave and go too far without me, and also the animal's going to be tied up. And there's no way for it to get out without me knowing about it. Others could say, appropriate means, you take a little um, hook and eye, a little, little hook and eye, lock it. The animal doesn't know how to open that. What's karai? What is considered appropriate? You need to ask yourself this question. As soon as you read that Mishnah, that's a question you ask yourself. And you know what? Surprise, surprise. Go to the Gemara, which is on the next page. 
Tan Rabbanan. Ezehu Karai Ve'ezehu Shalok Karai. What's considered an appropriate fence? The Gemara is not going to leave you in doubt. You know that question already because you asked it because you will not take the word Karai without first give, giving critical thought to what Karai means. That's the scenario. What's the issue? V'yatsa V'hizika. And went out and caused damage. Okay, stop there. Ask yourself, what do you think the halacha should be? You put your sheep inside the pen, you lock the door appropriately. It went out and it caused damage. Don't read the next word in the Mishnah. What do you think? What's the default position? What do you think the halacha should be if you lock the door appropriately? Okay, I think potter. I did my job. Says the Mishnah potter. Thank you. I could have figured that out on my own. What do you say, Greg? That's the default position. I, I know my default position. You could. Everyone could have their own default position. You just have to think of your default position. So, Greg, when you read this Mishnah, you should ask yourself: with before you get to that word "pater," what do I think? If someone were to present this scenario to me, what would I think? Now, if your answer is entirely consistent with the Mishnah, there's nothing new here. I could have figured this out on my own. I don't need the Tanayim to bring down a Mishnah like this. Keep that in mind. Okay, next half. Lo karai. You did not lock the door appropriately. That's scenario number two. V'yatsa went out to cause damage. That's issue number two. Chayev. Okay, I think I would have come to that conclusion on my own. You don't lock up your animals and they go out and damage... You're going to be liable. Oh, but maybe not. Who says I, as a human being, am liable for something my animal does? These are good questions. Okay? But whatever your default conclusion is, is it consistent with the Mishnah? So ask yourself, it's obvious. If your default is different than the Mishnah, you will be wanting to ask, where'd you get this from? Okay, next case. Nifrit Sabalayla. It got out at night. So this is scenario number three. At night, the, an- the animal got out. It broke out of the fence. Okay, why is that relevant? Who cares what time it was? Did I lock the door? Or I didn't lock the door? Okay, the Mishnah gives that case. Or thieves came and broke down the fence. Okay, is that my fault? I don't know. What's your default? What do you think? Issue, Vyatsa Vizika, went out and caused damage. Potter. You're Potter. Now, Hotzi Ua list him. If the thieves went out and took the animals out, list him Chayavim. They're the ones who are Chayav. Now, you, you should start off by asking yourself there are three scenarios in this Mishnah. Why do I need all three? Okay, I can understand why I need the first one. We'll figure out why soon. But I don't know. My default position was that if you lock the door properly, you should not be liable. And that's what the Mishnah says. So I'm a little bit concerned that the Mishnah spent my time teaching me something that I already know. The second half, all right, I didn't lock the door properly. Now I have to pay. All right, what type of damage did it do? Does it make a difference? Viyata Vihizika, is there a difference? Did it kill somebody? Did it injure somebody? Did it chew up someone's, I don't know, someone's 
front door? Did it chew up their garden? Is there a difference? Again, it's not clear. You have to ask yourself what that's talking about. Once I know those, if I lock the door appropriately, I did my job, I discharged my duty, and then it got out at night, what's the difference if it's during the night or during the day? You need to ask that question. And you know what? If that question is not going to be asked in the Gemara, go to Tosis. The next page at the bottom. Even though the Mishnah already gave me the halacha of when I locked the door properly, and that's the halacha is pater, I'm not going to go through the answer now because we'll get to that soon, but understand that if there's ever a time when the Gemara falls short of its responsibility to ask that question, you could count on one of the other Rishonim asking the question. Why? Because the Rishonim did this work. They already learned the Mishnah and they asked themselves, what's the scenario? They asked themselves, what's the issue? They asked themselves, what's the default position? And they asked themselves, what's the Chiddush? And then they searched through the Gemara. And if the Gemara doesn't address it, you can be sure one of the Rishonim will bring it out. That's what Tosa is going to do. Okay? Should we stop here? I think we'll stop here for tonight. I think we did enough for our introductory share. If anybody has any questions, I'm happy to take the questions. And we'll continue with Hashem every week on Tuesday night. And we're going to go through this. Again, I will continue to work through you through this with a number of scenarios in the Gemara. And then we're going to actually open up a Gemara. We're going to learn through it very slowly and methodically to be able to really take these concepts and plug it in to our learning of Gemara. Have a wonderful night.